This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've joined us today. A little later in the program, we're going to talk about museums and placemaking. Think of the different ways that museums are approaching their work and their relationships to people in the community. The DIA is taking new steps to try to welcome people and more as a gathering space than just as a museum. And other museums around the metro area and around the country are following suit. We're going to talk about what that means to us as the people who experience these museums. So you're going to stay tuned to that conversation. It'll get started at about half past the hour. But first, President Donald Trump says there's an emergency at the southern border and that he should be able to go around Congress to build the wall he wants. He's going to sign the bill that Republicans and Democrats reached as a compromise on border security to avoid another government shutdown. But because that bill doesn't include funding for Trump's wall, he says he's going to do it himself. But is there really a crisis at the southern border? And is it one that justifies the kind of unilateral executive action that we're seeing Donald Trump undertake here? There's not much of a consensus about that, and it's unclear what could be done in Congress or the courts to stop the president if he goes ahead with that. That's where we want to start the conversation this morning with this idea of an emergency along the southern border and the president's plans to get the money however he sees fit to build the wall that he has been talking about since the campaign of 2016. As always, we want to hear from you. Uh, What do you think about what's happening along the border with Mexico? Uh, Is it an emergency? Is it an emergency that justifies uh, an emergency declaration by the president, which allows him to ignore Congress and build his wall on his own? Or do you think this is just about politics? This is Donald Trump just playing to his base which loves the idea of a border wall uh, and has uh, loved it since he first brought it up. Uh, Is this just him nodding to them uh, and ignoring the system of checks and balances that keeps the presidency and the Congress and the courts in their place? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. And joining us now to talk about this idea of national emergencies, not just in the presidency of Donald Trump, but historically across American history, is Jeffrey Engel. He is the founding director of the Center for Presidential History at Southern Methodist University. He is also the co-author of a book called Impeachment in American History. Jeffrey, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hi, it's good to talk to you again. Yes, good to talk to you as well. So uh, let's start uh, with just a brief history of this idea of a declaration of emergency. Donald Trump is not the first person to say, I, got, I, have, to, I have to have extraordinary powers to get something done to keep the American people safe. Um, how different, though, is what he's talking about from what we've seen presidents in the past do? 
Well, this is actually uh, historically fundamentally different for a really important broad reason. There's really, in a sense, two different kinds of national emergencies that presidents have traditionally declared going back all the way to George Washington and including the legal distinction that occurred in 1976 when Congress set out some parameters for what a, uh, an emergency would be. And the two different kinds of emergencies are, first, when there's something that everyone, including Congress, realizes is, oh my goodness, so dramatic, we need immediate action. Um, think 9-11, mm-hmm. something that no reasonable person could actually say is not an emergency. And then this, and, you know, so 9-11 is a good example. Um, the Whiskey Rebellion is a good example um, for, for George Washington. Uh, in many ways, World War II. Is a, is a good example. Franklin Roosevelt used his emergency powers even before the declaration of war in 1941 after the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. Again, these are things that everyone recognizes is an emergency without question. There's a second type of use of emergency power, which is where the president is essentially doing something for efficiency's sake that is easier to do, more efficient to do, more logistically s- simple to do by executive authority than through Congress and through the legislative process, but that generally represents the will of Congress. And and these are actually more akin to the kinds of things that we've seen since 1976. I'll I'll give you a great example. Um, President Clinton invoked emergency powers uh, in order to work out some acquisition and some negotiations over nuclear weapons in the former Soviet Union, which Mm. I think any reasonable person can agree, that's a problem. You know, we don't want these nuclear weapons going somewhere. And rather than have it slowly go through a legislative process, Congress and the president essentially agree that this is the more functional way to do it. And, and we know that Congress agrees because Congress in those instances did not try to override the president's use of this executive power. What President Trump is suggesting here is actually a third type, which I think is what is so important and why we need to be having this conversation. He's not uh, declaring an emergency that everyone agrees is an emergency. He's not declaring an emergency in order to fulfill congressional will more efficiently. He's declaring an emergency in order to do something that Congress has specifically, just in the past 10 hours, declared that they do not want to happen. Um, that is a, an, an absolute different case than anything we've seen before. Yeah. And and uh, so when, when something like this happens and a president decides, hey, I'm going to go on my own and I'm not that concerned about precedent, what's the right response? Uh, does Congress have a way to rein in this kind of power or is that something that's left to the courts? You know, there's there's two ways to answer that. I think there's the, the historian answer, um, which, of course, is always the right way. Uh, and, and then there's the sort of contemporary politics answer. Let me, let me give you the, the first one first, which is to say, you know, there are very few instances as a historian that I'm comfortable saying the architects of the Constitution, those we colloquially call the founding fathers, there are very few instances where I'm comfortable saying the founding fathers w- all thought the following. But this is one of those cases. Uh, the founding fathers all feared uh, expansive government, all feared expansive executive power in particular, and in fact tried to give more power in many ways to Congress than to the presidency. And was very, they were very explicit that if a president went against the will of Congress, that that was not only a violation of, of 
balance of power, but that was actually something that would approach the kind of warning bells that would suggest, uh, I hate to use the word because it's so frequent these days, but that would suggest impeachment would be necessary. And that's really because that they fundamentally recognize that any acquisition of a new type of power, especially executive power, is something that's never given back by the executive or by subsequent executives. And they would fear that, yes, you might have a reasonable case to make an executive decision and executive powers in the first instance, and then a less reasonable case in the second instance. And then very quickly, you're, you're doing whatever you want uh, in violation of congressional will, which is obviously the last thing that they would have wanted. So from a historian's perspective, this is actually the most clear-cut case of violation of constitutional theory uh, that I have, frankly, ever seen in my entire life. Mm. Now, does that have anything to do with contemporary politics? Well, I think <laughs> Mitch McConnell is going to have more to say about whether that's a, that ruling is, whether that assessment holds than, than anything else. Yeah, and and the courts could play a role here. I mean, the courts in the in the past have had to intervene to say whether a president's attempt to to use this emergency power to get something done is constitutional. Yes, you know, a, a great example is, is under President Truman um, that he tried for, uh, during a national emergency to, to declare a national emergency in order to nationalize the, the railroad industry. And the Supreme Court functionally said, no, you can't do that. That's beyond your authority. But, you know, Truman's a very interesting case in another realm, which is that he gives sort of a classic example of how a president declares the fact of a national emergency in order to get Congress on his side. Uh, so if we think back to the signature moment of his presidency in many ways, the announcement of what we call the Truman Doctrine, yes. um, you know, in, 19, uh, in the late 1940s, uh, when President Truman announced that we need immediate aid for Turkey and for Greece, lest the communists take over. And folks, this is a real dire emergency. And having gone to Congress and said that, he persuaded Congress to go with him. He didn't go against congressional will. And and the congressional will that we're talking about here, I mean, uh, from the beginning, uh, the, the the argument about the shutdown and the wall is is a creature of uh, the president's inability to get Congress to vote for uh, the wall. I mean, it, it, it's such a direct connection that it seems as though uh, the advisors around the president, uh, the legal advisors uh, around the president, might have said, you know what, uh, I, I understand how you feel, but th th there's just not much of a leg to stand on here. Congress has said no to this. It's not a, it's not a vacant space in which no one has, has expressed their opinion. And, and that's such a clear principle in the Constitution that one branch can't just jump into another's business uh, uh, when, when they've expressed uh, the, their, their opinion about this. I, I wonder what you make of the decision to do this, given the, 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 the sort of tenuous legal foundation for it. You know, I, I think that one way that we know that this is an a, a unusual and tenuous case, as you put it so, so rightly, is that one gets the sense, and I'm not in the Oval Office, so I can't imagine what is going on in those conversations, but one gets the sense that President Trump turned to his advisors and turned to his lawyers and said, find me a justification for what I want to do. Um, that's usually not the way an emergency works. Usually an emergency works, and the president declares, help me solve this problem, or we have a problem and we must act, not 
go deep into the law books in order to find an esoteric uh, you know, possibility of justification. You know, I think if we think about the shutdown over the last two months, let's say, uh, the, the broad saga of the way this has played out, you know, again, going back to the, to the constitutional uh, architects, James Madison, who we oftentimes call the author of the Constitution, James Madison would have loved the way that this played out. I think largely up until the point where the government shut down. I don't think he was a fan. He'd be a fan of that. But he'd love the way it played out in the sense that if Congress and the president cannot agree, they should fight it out within their legal parameters. And this is, I think, the moment where James Madison would say. Now you're going too far because you're going directly against congressional will. The president is supposed to be the executive of exe- uh, and to execute. That's the reason they use the word to execute congressional will in many ways, not to violate it. Uh, I'm talking with Jeffrey Engel. He is the founding director of the Center for Presidential History at Southern Methodist University and co-author of the book Impeachment in American History. We're talking about President Trump's announcement that he will declare a national emergency to start building the wall that he would like to see erected between the United States and Mexico along our southern border. This is something that he's asked Congress to do uh, to approve the money for that. They haven't been able to muster the votes to get that done. And so he says he's got to act on his own. Uh, There's a long history, of course, of presidents having to act on their own or deciding to act on their own to get things done. Uh, But is there something particular and different about this uh, action, about this idea to go around Congress to build the border wall? Jeffrey Engel says there is, that uh, we have never seen a presidential action quite like this. We're really interested in what you think. Uh, Does what's happening along the border with Mexico constitute an emergency in your mind? And are these the kind of things that you think we need to do? Do we need to build this wall no matter what uh, to keep uh, illegal immigration from uh, from from dominating the, the narrative along that border. <clears throat> As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, let's read some social media comments here for starters. Paul on Twitter says, it's an act of desperation. He knows if he doesn't have the wall by the time Mueller delivers his report, his supporters will not back him during the subsequent impeachment proceedings. Uh, Paul taking a very political uh, uh, take on what is happening in Washington. Let's get to the phones here. Uh, Linda in Detroit. Linda, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Hey. I am I am curious about the historical perspective on states' rights. Um Another way that the Founding Fathers set up our government to reduce the power of the executive is giving states more rights um, than maybe other countries would have. And so if the southern states, for example, did believe that this was a national emergency and wanted a border wall, um, could they call on the federal government to do that? I'm just curious about this whole state's rights and how they play into that beyond Congress. Congress. Uh, Linda, that's a really excellent question. Uh, and Jeffrey Engel, you're in Texas, the state that uh, that has much of the border uh, with Mexico. 
it, it, could this end up being a states' rights issue where some uh, some state like Texas or Arizona or New Mexico says, no, no, we really need this. Uh, we want to go around Congress in order to. Well, you know, what, on, a, on a local level, uh, from a Texas perspective, and I'm in, I'm in Dallas, so I'm you know eight hours from the border. But the general talk among politicians in Austin and uh, across the state has been largely opposition to the way that the Trump administration is trying to implement the wall. For very for the very same reason that your caller mentioned, which is that the federal government would have to acquire um, uh, acquire property that is Texas property in a sense um, that would go through some Texans ranches and go across different public entities, and and it's really much more complicated because it's not Donald Trump's land; it's the governor of Texas's land in a real sense. So uh, the broader issue, though, of, of states' rights, which again I think is a really brilliant question. Um, it really is a good example of how the notion of states' rights has changed over the time that we uh, have experienced the American uh, the American experience. You know, key moments, of course, occur in the early 1800s when um, the Supreme Court rules that federal policy, no pun intended, trumps local policy, state policy. Um, the Civil War, obviously, is not it's fought over slavery but it establishes a critical notion that states really have to pay attention to that earlier ruling that the federal government is supreme, that you cannot have a state overrule presidential authority. There are many ways that a state could solve this problem on its own. The, the governor of Texas um, has previously, for, for, in different areas and at different moments, decided to you know, send National Guard troops, uh, State Guard troops, down to the border. Um, but this is a real different issue for the President of the United States to essentially um, do something that is in the local realm by declaring it a national federal issue that requires a national military response in particular. Hmm. Uh, again, Linda, thanks very much for the call and the really insightful question. Uh, let's go to Keith in Detroit. Keith, welcome to Detroit today. Thanks. Love yeah. your show. Thank you. Um, so I think it is, in fact, uh, it's kind of an in-game crisis. So I think uh, the administration has created uh, situations through their policies and their actions to create somewhat of a um, chaotic situation on the border and i think that they're going to continue to do so until everybody just pretty much throws their hands up on both sides of the border so at some point through actions of either our government or the migrants it's going to look like it is in that in fact a national emergency and i think that's what is in game there. Hmm. i'll take your response off you. keith that's a really interesting it's a really interesting thought that that can you create a crisis and then declare an emergency to deal with that crisis. Uh, Jeffrey Engel, have we, are there any other examples from history yeah. of presidents doing that? You know, there, there are some examples. And, and when, I, when, I, when I give my next statement, I don't want to prejudice the answer in some ways. I'm trying to keep this as you know, constitutionally focused as, as possible. Um, every previous example that we can think of of a president ginning up or manufacturing a crisis in order to get congressional will. And again, I want to stress that the president usually uses the crisis in order to get Congress on his side, not in violation of Congress. Every single instance I can think of where that's happened has frankly turned out quite badly. Um, The most famous, I think, is the the Gulf of Tonkin Hmm. uh, incident in, in Vietnam, where Lyndon Johnson essentially hoping for some kind of provocation in order to expand 
the effort and the war in Vietnam um, used a very confusing situation, which people realized was confusing at the time, of a North Vietnamese uh, uh, supposed assault upon American vessels in order to widely expand the American effort in Vietnam. But he, again, he did so by taking a, a muddied situation and giving a very clear message to Congress that American troops and American sailors have been attacked. We must act, to which Congress voted, yes, we must. Mm. Uh, again, it was, it was used as a, a method of, of persuasion, not as a method of, of opposition. Uh, again, thanks very much for the, the call and the question. Uh, okay, Jeffrey Engel, founding director of the Center for Presidential History at Southern Methodist University, co-author of the book Impeachment and American History. Thanks, as always, for joining us here on Detroit Today. Love talking to you. Thanks again. Up next, the DIA wants to redefine its role as a public community space. We're going to talk with a DIA official and an urban planner about how museums can affect placemaking in a city like Detroit. Also, remember, if you have to miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. You can subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you and listen when you are ready. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit Today.